You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the X-Man podcast. Hello, and uh, you know, I'm, guys, it has been one hell of a 10 days for myself. I talked about it in the last episode. I played the song, the uh, the, the zombie cover that uh, my band Bad Wolves did, and it's uh, it's really take, taken off, and you know, it, it kind of happened amidst a lot of other things. Uh, we just had the Nam conference out here in Southern California. If you're not familiar with that, that's essentially where all of the musical equipment companies go and do their big, um, you know, trade conference. So it's like Comic Con for music gear. And so that is usually a busy time for for artists like myself go there kind of rub elbows, talk to your people. So that happened. And then the uh, the cover song about a week ago, uh, Howard Stern played the track and talked about it and was really into it. And then that day, the song hit number one on the iTunes rock charts, which is pretty insane for a uh, a brand new band. I mean, clearly, you know, the Cranberries um, have done the heavy lifting, you know, with writing a, a great song that means a lot to people. And, um, you know, the untimely death of, uh, Dolores O'Riordan is, um, you know, really the backdrop behind all of this. So, um, yeah, so it's been, um, it's been a really, really crazy week. And then because the song was doing well, the label wanted us to shoot a couple of music videos. So we shot a video on Friday for like a heavier song. And then we shot a video for zombie yesterday with a guy named Wayne Isham. And if you're not familiar with him, he directed basically every, sick Metallica video like Enter Sandman and Wherever I May Roam, Sad But True. He did the SNM uh, live concert. He did Cunning Stunts uh, DVD. Also did all the big Megadeth videos, Countdown to, you know, uh, Symphony of Destruction, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue. He worked with Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson. It's pretty absurd that uh, we had the opportunity to work with someone of, of that caliber and, and just being there on the set. I, I hadn't been on a, a really big music video set since the, God forbid, To the Fallen Heroes video, um, which was 
an incredible experience. And I, I love being that and kind of seeing some filmmaking being done. And this is not to discredit some of the other, um, you know, people that have done some of our, our videos. It's just that in truth, this style of music does not usually doesn't get the resources to get a bigger crew and really take their time and have maybe the best cameras available and the best equipment. So we're, we're always kind of working with what we have. And, and I think people do great work, but it's also kind of nice to see that end of things. And I'm sure for even someone like him, that was probably a bare bones set. But for us, you know, it's like being spoiled. So it was really, really cool. Uh, so that was my yesterday. And I'm, I'll be honest, guys, I'm completely exhausted <laughs> by everything, but very, very excited and encouraged. And I've also been knee, knee deep in the podcast game. I, did, I think I recorded four interviews last week, um, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to go to NAM was to try and talk to as many people from out of town as possible. And yeah, so the show is doing is doing really, really great. And one thing I kind of want to bring up before I get into the interview portion of the show, um, I made a post on Instagram where I posted a picture of me buying the new Machine Head record and I said, fuck the haters, right? And I, And that's pretty much all I said. And what that was in response to was all I was, you know, I'd, I'd heard a couple of the, the songs, obviously, like a lot of other people. And, you know, I wasn't, I, I wasn't really totally sure how to, how, how to feel about it. But to me, with a band like Machine Head, it's never about one song. Like, I want to hear the album. And bought the album. I loved it. You know, and there's a lot going on there. But leading up to that, all I did was hear, read reviews and see YouTube reviews. And pretty much across the board, I see a lot of people not really liking the record um, for a variety of, of, of different reasons. But, and obviously there's a lot, there's a big backlash from certain people online. But I listen to the record and I'm like, this is a fucking machine head record. I don't, I don't really see the, the big deal. So that the reason why I said fuck the haters is not even about machine head per se, even though there's clearly what that hate is about is almost the same reason why people are hating the new Star Wars movie. It's because they love Star Wars. You know, if people didn't care about Machine Head, they wouldn't be getting the hate. But the truth is, uh, Machine Head matters to a lot of people. And in the same way, like a band like Metallica matters to a lot of people, just on a smaller scale. But there, you know, the fact that there's a record like that or Rob Flynn, a, a person like that, that can kind of push people's buttons in a way, you know, and I don't think that's something he's doing on purpose. I think he's just expressing himself and people are taking it kind of what I think is actually really important. But my overall point with fuck the haters is I think about, you know, I think we, you know, just hating on stuff in life is like wasted energy. You know, like if there's a candy bar I don't like, I don't sit around thinking about, God damn, those Twixes, fuck Twixes, man. I'm sick of them every store I go to. There's Twixes all up in the, the store and people are buying them and fuck them. You know, this like whole thing of spending energy on stuff you don't like is crazy. And if you find yourself doing that, check yourself. All right. Because it is wasted, wasted energy. Focus on the things you like, you know, and I'll say this in, when it comes to fandom, I have always approached fandom much different than a lot of my 
metal counterparts. You know, and I'll go back to Metallica, who's my favorite band, who, like Machine Head, has taken a lot of twists and turns, has changed their sound a lot, cut their hair, looked different, sounded different, taken a lot of risks. And the way my fandom works is, this is the band that changed my life the most and has affected me the most positively. So that means if they put something out that maybe I don't like as much as something they did before, I don't say, well, time to burn my, you know, Injustice for All record. No. I'm just like, hey, I don't like this as much as something before. It doesn't undo the stuff that I liked. And guess what? If Metallica's my favorite band, they don't fucking owe me anything just because I bought their old records. It's not like, hey, man, they're really, you know, someone, you know, someone said this, you know, and, hey, maybe this person might, like, stop following or something that, you know, they complained about certain aspects of the Machine Head record. Like, you know, it really hurts. I'm like, it hurts? Really? Is it that deep? You know? I mean, if you don't like it, it's like, hey, man, I don't like the record. And guess what? Unlike 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you can go on Spotify and test drive the record. You actually don't. Back in the day, you would go spend your $15, come home and be mad. And then listen to the record for a month straight forcing yourself to like it because you paid for it you know but i actually think this is about this shit is just too good now you know we have too many good things music is too you know there's too many like good recordings and and uh exceptional musicians movies are everything is just like we have everything so good that we just want to complain and bitch about everything that's wrong we're a we're a society of nitpickers everyone thinks they're fucking roger ebert and Gene Siskel. You think you're just Siskel and Ebert. All right? And just get over yourself. I'm serious. You know, it's like sometimes you go, you just get you get a cheeseburger. It's like, is it the greatest cheeseburger? No. But you know what? I mean, a cheeseburger, I'm cool. Things, things, are, things are not that deep. So when I say fuck the haters, I'm talking about the, the overly critical mind that is just corrosive. And it's everywhere. It's like as soon as we gave everyone a bullhorn to communicate what their their grievances, then everyone just like, oh, I guess this is my thing in life. It's just hating on everything. Go on Yelp. Go on Rotten Tomatoes. Just, just see. Like this culture of criticism. Everyone just is annoyed at everything. You know, nothing's ever good enough. So anyway, guys, hold, I need some water. Hold on, hold on. I'm a dr- I like drinking on air and making people feel uncomfortable. You know, drinking all sloppy, you know, I enjoy that. I hope that, you know, I know that bothers some people, but that's kind of the point. Real quick, guys. We have a sponsor for this show. It's called rockabilia.com. Do you like merchandise? Do you like band merchandise? Do you like heavy metal t-shirts? They have all that stuff. They're your one-stop shop. That's the only place you need to go. All right? They have half a million items. It is officially licensed merchandise straight from the artist. They also have movie merchandise. They have pop culture merchandise. They have, they have everything. And if you use my code PCXMAN or PCEXMAN, you can get 15% off. So do yourself a favor. Head on over to rockabilia.com. Now that said, I have a conversation coming up with a very old friend. And I know I say that, you know, I have lots of old friends on here because, you know, 
my mother told me not to talk to strangers. So there's a man here named Patrick Sheridan. If you come from my old scene, you might know him from another name, Fat Pat, who is now becoming in shape Pat. You know, he, he is really uh, changing his life. So this is a really important conversation. I have a lot of history with this person. Some of it good. Some of it uh, strenuous, you know, and we and uh, not too different from the last episode I did with Byron uh, from God Forbid. This one, you know, we got to work some stuff out and talk about some things that we hadn't talk, talked about. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. It's very personal for me. And uh, and I, I have so much gratitude to Pat for coming on the show. And he's also in a killer band named Fit for an Autopsy that if you haven't heard of, check him out. I'm going to play a song after the interview. And I hope you enjoy it. Check out this conversation with the man, Patrick Sheridan. got Mr. Patrick Sheridan. So e- even that, even even the intro here is kind of filled with questions and in and in- <laughs> interesting things in in that um you know as, as we're kind of as I showed up here right now we're in Los Angeles, California at the Will Turn you, uh, your band fit for an autopsy you're opening up for Arch Enemy and Trivium. Yep. While she sleeps. Uh, big tour, as you said, maybe the the best tour you guys have ever done. Yeah, uh, especially in the states. Um, other than festival stuff, it's the biggest shows we've ever played and the most consistent tour we've yeah. ever been on. So. Um, but kind of what we were talking about mainly was uh, change. Yeah. You know, how, yeah. just just in general, how much you've kind of changed as a as a person, and um, you know, just even that. Me knowing you as Patrick Sheridan, hmm. right? It's weird. Is yeah. uh, <laughs> so as you know where we're from back in Jersey, you know we, we everyone called you Fat Pat. Yeah. Is now let me ask this: is is that name is that like retired? No. Nah, is that it's... like is that like Puff Puffy and now you're Diddy? <laughs> no, <laughs> there's none of that. Um, it, it's actually kind of a cool reminder. I like it. It doesn't bother me when people call me that still. And it never bothered me then. I mean, when you're fat and your name rhymes with the word fat, it just it's it's just how things are going to go. Um, you know, I've I've been on quite a journey both like mentally, emotionally and physically for like the past probably like 10-15 years and um I would say the last 10 have been very significant. And uh but I, I was who I was and I've turned into who I am and you know I, the cycle doesn't take away the past it just that reminder that hey you used to be almost 400 pounds like don't don't mess that up this is why people called you that and I keep a picture in my phone as a reminder so it doesn't really bother me and uh, some people call me medium pet now medium pet which is fun but uh you know there's a reason why and uh, it's it's just who I was, and I guess still part of who I am. You know. Well, so let's say on on this tour, like you meet a new band. Like, had you ever met the dudes from Arch Enemy before, or ever toured with them? I've known Jeff for a few years, but everybody else is. All right. So if you go up to Mike Amat, do you say, "Hey, I'm I'm Pat Sheridan," or do you say, "I'm Pat," or do you? Or do you <laughs> hey, I'm Pat. How do, how do you announce your? How well, do you, first of all, let's talk about this for a second. Michael Amat was in Carcass. And you don't have to tell me, bro. And so for me, this tour is like 
getting to tour with like somebody that I've been listening to. I mean, you remember when we first met, like that's a band I've always loved. Even being like a growing up in the punk and hardcore scene, there were certain bands that did it for me. And Carcass was one of those bands. So now I'm on tour with this guy who shaped some of my musical taste. So just introducing myself as anything to Michael Amott's kind of pretty cool. But um, yeah, just my name's Pat, Patrick oh. Sheridan. Patrick from Fit for an Autopsy. Right. It's, it's kind of what my identity has become at this point. Well, it's, that's I think that's that's very interesting and it's, and it's great. Um, so kind of before, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. Sure. Um, you know, part of what this show is for me is kind of not necessarily going back and relitigating the past, but the, <laughs> but the fact- I'll Be for, here for a while. Well, no, just think about it. Guys like you and I, who we met, what, 1996? Yeah, you were probably at the first hardcore show I ever went to mm -hmm. and were one of the people and through your old band, Faint 13, kind of introduced mm -hmm. us to a lot of bands in the scene, going sure. to shows. And, and so um, in many ways, your story is part of my story, right? Yeah. And so I'm, I get to kind of go back and see. It's amazing that that we're both still here. Yes. And in many ways, some you know, even though I'm still active and I got banned and I've been touring, but the roles have reversed in some ways in in yeah. in seeing the career. So, um, so yeah. So I was thinking a lot about like kind of kind of back back in the day. Um, what are your what are your kind of what are your memories of of and did you have a did you have a band before Faint Thirteen? Yeah, when I was a kid, I was in like a couple of punk bands, like like nameless bands, just you know, pretending to play guitar and yelling into microphones. And then um, I played in this band called Restraint. Um, I guess like we're talking like ninety. Three ninety two. So, so you were going to shows. How 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 old? I started going to shows at ten, uh, nineteen eighty six. Damn. My brother Kevin took me to see a bunch of like thrash metal bands play. One of the best uh, first two bands I ever saw live, uh, DRI and Exodus. So I was a little baby, you know. Um, so the metal came first. Metal came. Well, I, it was like a mixture. Here's the thing: like in my house, my brother Kevin, he's a metalhead, but he also likes hardcore. I was exposed to like bands like the bad brains and black flag and all that stuff and then at the same time being exposed to like thrash metal bands and like slayer and i mean everybody listened to slayer it didn't matter if you were a hardcore kid or yeah. punk rock kid you if you listened to slayer in the 80s that's just the way it was so it, there was a a good mixture of that stuff but i would say 86 87 i was 10 11 years old and very uh i was like a sponge you know first record i bought with my own money was um I got uh, Screaming for Change by Uniform Choice. What's by who? Uniform Choice. I don't even it's know who that is. Yeah, hardcore band. <laughs> Straight edge hardcore band. And uh, that was my first like thing I bought on my own. But I mean, I can go back to 1986 and remember getting like Anthrax, Among the Living, and Cro-Mags, Age of Quarrel, and uh, Rain of Blood came out that year. I think Master How of How old are you? I'm 41. Okay, so you're like a little older than me, but you started so early that yeah. you kind of got ahead of the curve. Yeah, my brother... Um, the first records I owned with my like on my own they were given to me was Michael Jackson Thriller and Venom black metal record. <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty crazy. But I mean, even like my mom you and dad. You learn about that's that's the the hooks and the hard. You yeah, know what I'm the, the scary. <laughs> you know the real stuff. And um, so my my mom loved disco and like R and B and and my dad loved like. Hendrix and rock and roll and Black Sabbath and 
you know, all that stuff. And then there was some like Yes and Rush. So I've always been exposed to lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. So when my brother kind of fed me all these different things, I just wanted to soak it all in. But then I found the New York hardcore scene in like, I would say the mid nineties, like I was listening to like, you know, Chromags, Gorilla Biscuits, all that stuff. And then like Obituary and DSI and all that stuff. But then when like that 90s, like Madball era hardcore started really hitting home for me and I got sucked in. Mm -hmm. And so I forgot how to play guitar and I went in and just started banging out three chord, you know, riffs with my, my hardcore bands. But then I found out about like Converge and Harvest and all those bands and that whole nother thing opened up and then I got into more metal. And so I, I kind of go back and forth, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, what was it? So when I met you, you were, I guess in a, in a, in a way like a, a central figure to this to the scene, you know, because you had a way of kind of uh, exemplifying yourself <laughs> and standing out from the from the from the pack in in the way you you kind of attacked the dance floor. I was, you, you were uh, notorious. Yeah, I, I like I like the mosh. Yeah, you know, I and the thing was is the time that I came up in when I was a kid going to New York, you know, with my brother going to CBGBs at like 11, 12 years old. Those guys were rough and I was scared. Yeah. And so I learned real quick that you had to be able to hold your own in that and 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 do the thing. And it it was never I mean, there were believe me, there are plenty of times when I was being a malicious jerk and I've done a lot of things that I look back on that I don't necessarily agree with now, but um, also it's just kind of like the way we did it. Like when you went to those shows, it was scary. It was, yeah. was there were times where I would step back and be like, "Oh my god!" Like somebody's gonna die. Like this is crazy. Like, well, I mean, people have died. Yeah, they have, and uh, thank goodness not at any shows that I've been at. But you know, like there's uh, there's a lot of a lot of crazy stuff, man. Kids breaking their arms and their backs, and you know, people jumping off of rafters in the crowds. I mean, poor decisions being made for. You know the uh, the adrenaline rush that comes along with it. So it was pretty. What nuts. did what do you get out of dance? You know, get it, that style of of you know. I get. I'm literally. I can call it quote unquote dancing because it is a kind of form of almost regulated Control, violence, controlled fighting. Um, yeah. yeah, controlled fighting. Um, you know, uh, what did, what did that do for you? Like, what did you get out that was that was why, why was that important to you? Um. Well. I grew up, I, I had a pretty crazy life, you know, um, and I was a really angsty kid. And it was the idea of knowing that there were other people that were feeling and doing exactly what I was doing, the way that I was doing it, and um, being able to get that out in a way that it felt okay to feel the way that I felt. Um, the music in this scene is not for everyone. And a lot of times it's not for everyone because it is aggressive and it draws a certain kind of person. So to be able to go to those shows and act a fool and just be crazy and, you know, smash people and get smashed. I've had my nose broken. I've broken my hand. I've had multiple bruises and, and bruised ribs and the whole nine. And it just to be able to do that and get that feeling out in a crowd of people where you feel like, you're maybe not judged as hard as if you went to school and you were that aggressive kind of guy or you were you know, at the supermarket with that look on your face. You know what I mean? Um, it's family. You know, I felt like those people were my family, even the ones that I got into 
little fisticuffs with and things like that. I, I still would rather have butt heads with those people than, you know, deal with a guy in the line at Target when mm. I was that age, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, even within that, though, it seemed like, in a sense, and, you know, kind of, I guess, take this how you how you will, but it almost seemed like, in a sense, for you, though, there was also this element of not only dancing, but standing out and kind of like this call for attention. Sure. Yeah, was, I, wanted, I wanted attention. Is, of course is, I did. Is that, I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but does that relate to saying, all right, I'm a guy on the floor watching a band, but I really want to be on stage. Is that uh, kind of a form of saying that? A little bit of everything, sure. I mean, um, I, I always I have a very over the top personality, and I still have it. It it gets me ahead and it holds me back. Mm -hmm. So there was definitely a long period of time where I wanted to stand out because, I mean, this is very personal kind of stuff, but I I had a lot of issues, man. Like mm -hmm. I had a lot of things going on in my life. I had a lot of. Uh, uh, I never felt pushed forward before through the background of my life. So I did what I had to do to get that feeling. You know what I mean? Um, and it, it helped me. It took a long time, but I realized a lot of it. And I've changed a lot of things about myself. But if it wasn't for the music scene allowing me to be the idiot maniac that I was for a long time, I, I don't think I'd be where I am right now. You know, every one of those kids that used to come to shows with me and every one of those kids that interacted with me, all those bands that accepted me and, like, came out and, like, made time for me when I was a kid, that all changed the way that I look at the people that come to our shows. It changed the way that I look at people who do what I did when I was a kid. And um, you know, I'm not going to say that there's not still a lot of that guy in me yeah. because that's why I'm here at 41. Yeah, just to let you guys know... Uh Pat almost uh, <laughs> engaged in fisticuffs about about twenty minutes ago, but this time in in the pursuit of justice. Uh, some guy in a car in L.A. backed out of a parking space. Very nice car, by the it way. It was a very nice car, and you want to know what? That car's got rearview mirrors, and he can see. And instead of taking the time to look around himself, he almost ran over a guy carrying a two three month old, nah, probably I would say maybe a year old little baby girl, and like literally almost like. We're talking like inches from hitting this person. So I yelled at the guy and told him he needed to use his damn mirrors because he used to pay attention. You know, he, what if he hit that little girl? Yeah. So, yeah, I yelled at a guy. I wasn't going to fight him. Don't, well, don't be rude. I just, I just want to set the record straight. Just because Pat has evolved don't mean you can't catch these hands. That's hey, all. <laughs> I, I, I still remember how to use my hands. <laughs> um, so... One of my distinct memories, you know, of, you know, so your your old band, Faint, Faint 13, and this is mm -hmm. something that at the time you guys, you know, you guys seem pretty serious. Yeah. Um, and for, for you guys who are listening don't know, this was basically just New Jersey, hardcore, metalcore It's just like band. noisy, weird metal. Do you, is, is the, uh, is that record, so you guys did a record with Steve Evans. Is that record yeah. on like Spotify or on YouTube mm -hmm. or anything? We have it though. I, I can send it to you. Put I have it. it. Well, I'll just put it up. Uh, You're what? Uh, you, uh, no, it's it's cool. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. It's an artifact. See, it's that that's the thing about you is there's no like see um, you know actually maybe there is you don't have a uh, a Wikipedia or anything for I you. I think there might be for you know, or pro it, probably filled with like awful things. Well, I looked up your name and then it came up. It was like some other musician. Yeah, the tuba and, player. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe I just I should have put Fat Pat in me. I would have found uh, it. Probably. Um, but um, but yeah. So 
in many ways, I felt like this is an odd time. So for another nugget uh, for the people listening to this. So Dallas, my brother from God Forbid, played with his old band, Faint 13. Yeah, we were in that band again. <clears throat> and at the time, you know, it almost... So God Forbid, we were basically the weirdos and the freaks and geeks of the of the hardcore scene and and we got the feeling and and they were and i think a lot of people were probably right that we were like this metal band kind of bur almost using the hardcore scene as like a way to get exposure and get out there and i think there was probably a lot of hesitation for people who were like truly in the scene and about that life and living that lifestyle yeah. that maybe were skeptical of of our entrance, you know. So I I felt I always felt back then there was like this kind of competition under underneath things, and like I guess you would say healthy competition because it kind yeah. of pushes shapes you. I mean, there's that's that's gonna shape you to work harder. Yeah, you know. Um, but you know, I just I just have all these all these memories. Like like as I have to do with every episode, I have to kind of make this about me. What do you, because, <laughs> and it, but it's actually interesting for me because it's the things I just don't know. What What are your memories of, of us trying to kind of make our way in the heart, in that hardcore scene back in, in the like late nineties? Um, I thought it was cool. I thought you guys, um, your demo and your first record were very influenced. It was, a, you were a metal band, but you were very influenced by, you hear elements of like all the different hardcore bands that we were listening to at the time. And like, you know, it, it was interesting to kind of see it evolve. You know what I mean? Um, but I I always supported you guys. I always wanted to see you guys get ahead every time I saw. I mean, I remember coming to see you guys at the Rotunda in Philly with Lamb of God. Oh, yeah. And, and Life Once Lost. Life Once and Lost. And Punishment. Yeah, and Punishment. And like, I, these are all things that are fond memories for me. Like seeing you guys like step up and do you know really cool stuff and like you know the esp deals and all the different things that happened and watching it all i watched it all from a distance because i always had like a healthy respect for your band and i think a big problem and this is something that i'm dealing with now is the jealousy factor there's this thing that happens when you're in a band like what we do what you did what i'm doing when you're willing to sacrifice everything to get ahead and, you know, I have a son and a wife and all the guys in my band have responsibilities and businesses, but we come together to do this thing because we feel strongly that it needs to be done for whatever reason. So there are a lot of people from New Jersey that don't speak to me anymore, mm -hmm. that have things to say in the background about what we deserve and what we don't deserve and what kind of people we are and things like that. You mean you mean talking about your current band? Current situation? band and people that would do the same thing with you guys. People yeah. that, oh, well, they sound like this band or they took that or they did this and they did that. Well, they had, you guys had the balls to get in a van, bus, plane, whatever it was, sacrifice your life and your time and go out and do it. So that whole thing where you felt like you were infiltrating the scene and maybe outsiders, it also had a lot to do with people being looking at what you're doing and judging you in a way where they're actually judging themselves mm -hmm. because it's this jealousy thing that happens and not to say that people are jealous of me or my band but it's this thing like oh why isn't my band getting this or oh well you should go on tour fit for an autopsy that would be great for you guys i think they'd want to take you out oh well we need to tour with a different kind of band like that we, we shouldn't be touring with bands that sound like that and it's like why would you say something like that like why wouldn't you i mean we'll go on tour with anybody you want to put me on tour with I don't know, Paramore, I'll, sign me up, hot second, I'll go. And I know you guys were the same way, you would tour with anyone. So I think maybe when you look at those situations, keep in mind, 
that your band was successful. And when you're successful, you're gonna you're gonna know it because people are gonna hate you for it. Well, I was more talking about the early, early days when we were like oh. first meeting people and trying to get any show and trying to kind of uh, I like, just like like that, which I totally under un, understood. But I think we went in with this, and I think the difference between us, like when we actually started quote unquote getting successful, the difference between us and most of the bands is in our scene was all the other bands. All those people were going to college. Mm -hmm. They were all preparing for the next ste step in their life. Their next and step. And we weren't. Yeah. We were only preparing to do that. Like we we didn't have a backup plan. Yeah, that's what happens. And yeah. and and because of that, we were willing and able to kind of just all right, we're just gonna do this. And but not thinking that it's gonna be anything or or we just didn't know. We just kind of like dove into the yeah, into just, the unknown. You just did it. That's the only way you can do it. You just close your eyes and you hope it hope it works you know yeah. and that's that's the thing that people don't understand too how do you do this you just you just do it yeah you know um but no i think maybe i mean i never noticed it i always felt like everybody from our scene and and the people that we grew up with was pretty supportive of your band at least everybody that i talked to um i'm sure they're you know a big thing too is there was like your purest hardcore guys yeah. that listen to like floor punch and like you know really very um specific kind of hardcore and then you had guys from our world that not only listen to that stuff but like things like dead guy and kiss goodbye and like you know harvest and acme and like all these noisy metal bands that fell into the hardcore scene or even things like leeway and stuff like that from new york that and marauder like bands that were hardcore bands but still sounded like metal bands yeah. so i think that there was a, a very specific split down the middle and fit for an autopsy is for sure a metal band but a couple of us come from the hardcore world. So it's it's weird for us sometimes. And and we get that same feeling as you. Like we would love to tour with hardcore bands. We and we do. We take hardcore bands out with us very often because I feel like and Will feels like that's what we should be doing. And um everybody in the band agrees, like we just want to take a bands that we like and aggressive music out. So I I don't necessarily think that you guys were shunned or it was anything like that, but I think that people have a weird way of dealing with things that they're not used to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of my memories are, are fond, and, and I loved one of my favorite things about that. I feel like you and I were both, and everyone who was part of that scene, we know to this day that we were in this right place, right time thing where we got to see this cross-section of, sure. of many styles of music that yeah. all kind of coexist. And we would do shows, and like I said, there'd be an emo band, there'd be a grindcore band, yeah. there'd be a death metal band, there'd yep. be a straight edge band. And that was very unique to that area, very unique to that that, that period time of time. Frame, yeah, sure. So in a way, it you know the the kind of collective vibes and what we were all about, it actually went beyond this style of music. Sure, you know, and that's what what one of the things I once and this is I'm talking about once we were actually in it for real. You know, once yeah. we kind of learned and 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 explored, but so around this, but kind of going back to that period of time, so. What happens with us is I can say the violent aspects, especially of the New Jersey scene. Yes. And there are videos online. You People can go on YouTube and see stuff that happened at God Forbid shows. <laughs> like heavily influenced our follow-up record determination. Hell yeah. Because we, in a sense, we kind of like we didn't, we were like, we don't want to be the soundtrack to like a girl getting kicked in the head. 
anymore. Like we just, it, it turned us off after a while. Like just being, cause that's, cause the funny thing is that's who end up, ended up being the God forbid fans of the hardcore scene where the, the, the tough dudes, yeah. you know, for well, I mean, you guys wrote heavy ass riffs, yeah. dude. That's what um, happens. You know, but whatever. I mean, when people like your band, you're just like happy. Anyone likes your band. And, um, so, but yeah, that really, in a way that kind of part of the scene, the violence and, and, um, you know, and I, th I think the stuff, especially with like crews and things like that, which we were never a part of, mm -hmm. but we obviously understood that that was a big part of the culture. Yeah. And we were lucky where, you know, no one had any problems with us. Everyone pretty much always had our back. Not yep. that we were getting in fights or any anything. Um, but um, but what, what did you do? So like once we got busy, we were basically away. Yeah. And so then you just kind of fall out with people. What so after Faint Thirteen kind of died down? Did you did you play with Shattered Realm? I did. Um, I played with Shattered Realm. Um, I did that for a few years, and then I was uh, trying to find videos of you. I couldn't find you on there. Yeah, there's there's a handful of them. Um, Were you I, in the band, or you just no? Like, I was in the band. Uh, I, that record uh, was that the first one, uh, Broken Ties, Spoken Lies record. I uh, I was around for the recording of that. And then um, that's that real Jersey beatdown. Yeah, that's the heavy <laughs> stuff. And then, uh, and then the uh, there's that uh, second record that they did after that with uh, Joe Hardcore singing. Yeah. And I was around for a little bit of the writing of that, and then I left the band and had a falling out, and then um, came back and played bass. And you know, I guess we all licked our wounds. When you think about that kind of time, and that you know, because all that's the the music and the camaraderie and then also the fighting, all that stuff. Like you think that's a, you think that hurts the scene overall or do you think it, like it holds it back from moving forward? I don't think so. I think that it's one of those things where it's just this, this natural evolution that happens. Like everything will be cool for a few years and then so a band will break out and it will bring uh, a whole new kind of, um, element to shows so you'll get a mixture of crowds and you have the everybody knows in the hardcore scene there's like there's rules there's things that you do and you don't do things you say and you don't say like certain things are not allowed so it, it becomes uh, a weird spot for a little bit you mm -hmm. know like you go to like certain bands and i don't want to say certain bands names because i don't want to like put anybody on blast or have it be a thing but you go to certain bands shows even within the hardcore scene and you see a very specific style of hardcore kid and then you go to other shows you see different things but then when you get those bands touring together you have these people with kind of like a different mindset and it always turns into something silly but most times a hardcore scene will police itself yeah and and i think right now is a great time because there's a lot of um there's a lot of stuff going on in the world for hardcore bands to touch upon. I mean, any band, but especially hardcore bands because they're very political, very social. And um, I think that uh, I think that it's, it's an interesting time to be in a band and to have the ability to have, uh, a, I guess, a, uh, a voice that people want to hear. So with that being said, people are going to have differences, especially when it's such a an opinionated thing you know people are screaming these lyrics about some very specific things whether you're like a socially conscious man or a straight edge man or a vegan man and 
everybody wants to have an issue and drama creates the most interesting times. So mm. I think that that's why, you know, the scene is as rough as it is. And plus the music is very heavy and it's, yeah. a, it's a very aggressive style of music. So you get, you get an interesting, uh, an interesting mix. Yeah. I think that my biggest issue with, with that whole stuff was more, a lot of times there there would be like maybe some kid who didn't quote unquote know the rules, and then it was like the the kind of gang mentality when like a bunch of dudes would just jack up one person. Yeah. It's like, and it's sometimes it just that my whole issue is just the whole bully thing, right? Where it seemed like some people were like, oh, this dude's like a new jack. This dude's yeah. you know a poser or whatever. He he's not part of our tribe, you know. And and um, I don't think that had anything to do with even crews at that time. It just had to do with like. You would just have like certain people that went to certain places all the time. And it, it wouldn't even be like, you know, this group versus that group or these people versus that people. It would be like, all right, we are the local hardcore kids in this area and you are here doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And you hit the wrong person and then all of those kids would take care of that one person. And uh, sometimes I wonder if that one person that had the initial issue could handle it on their own. You know, and I had, I always think about that. Like all those things that I've seen happen and all the stuff that I've seen go down, are you capable of dealing with those problems on your own and not having to, you know, rat pack some kid? And uh, it's just, there's uh, there's things I, I've looked at that fall into this world, especially like the, the violence in the scene, especially in the 90s. Yeah. Like now it's not, it's not, it's not like it used to well, be. Well, think about it now. They have MMA now. People yes. who can go, if you have aggression, you, yeah. if you want to go and, and actually, you know, obviously they had boxing and stuff, but I feel like culturally, yeah, that's a little more ingrained within like the youth culture. I think there's a crossover between heavy music and MMA. Sure, sure. Um, you, know, the, you know, the tattoos, the, you know, just that whole thing. And they, they naturally kind of meet in the middle. Um, well, that's the fun thing too now. Now, like, you get a couple of big tough guys that, go try to rough some, you know, young looking smaller kid up and the dude's been training, training Brazilian <laughs> jiu-jitsu his whole life and he snaps the dude's hip and it's like sick. Good for you. Defend yourself, you know? But um obviously you don't want violence at shows and you want everything to go smooth, but you can't always control the way that things pan out, you know? So around this time when you're playing with Shattered Realm, mm -hmm. is this um were you also tattooing around this time? I started tattooing around two thousand eight. 2007. Okay, no, that, oh, that was way late. I thought you started way before that. No, 2007. So what, so what was your your direction in life at this time? Because like I said, this is around the time when we probably weren't in touch as much. I, uh, like I said, I had like a weird falling out with one of my bands and it, it put me in a real, real weird place. And uh, I guess I kind of internalized and lashed out at the same time. But I was convinced that I wasn't going to be doing music for a living and um, was that the goal at some point? I, I mean, I always wanted to be in a touring band, not necessarily make a million dollars a year doing it. Just, mm -hmm. I just wanted to tour and see what it was like. You know, like the whole idea of being a guitar player and 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 playing music for me is being able to play live shows. I mean, there's just it's just that's the best so feeling. Shadow Realm didn't do tours. They did, but I didn't really tour with them that much. Okay, um, did some stuff like down the East Coast, and you know, at that time they weren't as busy, and then. Um, I left the band and they started doing more. And then I started that band called Nothing Left to Mourn. Yeah. And I did that for a few years. And we, we did some touring with Love is Red. And we did some touring with, uh, we, we played with Suffocate Faster. We did some stuff with, uh, with Bury Your Dead, a couple of Yeah, that band dates. started to actually have some success. And yeah. Then... And then um, 
you know, people weren't as committed to it as they had pretended they were. And it just became kind of like flopped a little bit. Yeah. We actually recently did a reunion and that was really cool. Uh, we played uh, that summer jam, back to school jam, back to school jam in Jersey. And it was really cool. We had a good time. But, and then after that, I started really getting back into metal again. Like I was listening to like a lot of like weird stuff at the time, like listening to like, like ISIS and like just real weird metal and like revisiting like dead guy and like all like the noisier stuff, listening to converge. And, and then I started listening to some death metal stuff. And then I started getting into some like slammier stuff. And then I really always loved bands like dying fetus because it's like the super heavier side of death metal. And, you know, I just decided I wanted to take guitar playing a little more seriously. Well, that's that's a, the other thing I want to talk about is is you know if if there's any theme to this conversation, it's it is evolution. But maybe even more so than your personality and your weight is your guitar playing. I mean, you were a pretty meat and potatoes style guitar player mm -hmm. back when we met, and at some you know and, and slowly but surely you can tell that you just you just woodshedded and woodshedded yeah. and you took lessons right i did take lessons a little bit here and there um i worked with that guy angel vivaldi who is like a unbelievable he's got like the he's, left he's, he's been on the x-man show he's a monster he's left hand of the gods that guy oh so you know what see that that's what needs to go for my left hand because i've been i've been like i filled in for darkest hour and yeah i, I remember that do, do a lot of like left hand legato yep. kind of arpe yep. and I, I realized this actually i was working on a solo for bad wolves and i, and I have this lick and it was like uh 160 bpm and doing like arpeggios and i realized i'm like 160 my right hand doing 60 notes easy nothing but, but left, left hand, hand. it's mm -hmm. i'm like i'm like all right i realized my left hand is slow and also not strong enough. So it's clunky. Weird. You need it to be, yeah. And so it's like yep. developing that fluidity, but also strength. I mean, listen, man, I got a lot of holes in my game. And I'm in a band with a bunch of guys that push me real hard to do better. And when we first started Fit, it was a little bit dumbed down version of what we're doing now. So sometimes it's hard. It's hard. I got to work. I yeah. got to work every day. Like when we're done with this, I'm going to go grab my computer and plug in my interface and sit down and go over the set a couple times. But when I'm on, I'm on. And, um, I've definitely grown as a player. Um, our other guitar player, Tim, is very good and keeps me on my toes. It's not it's not like I'm some kind of like shredder virtuoso guy. Like I just still meat and potatoes, just the meat well, is but, a little bit better quality. Well, I, I, if I can say, speak, speak to it, it's just on basic technique, you know, because we come from that era before Pro Tools. When yeah. he was up in the studio, and if you do it again, yeah, it again. yeah. The, we, we yeah I work with Steve Evans. Exactly. His the only thing that dude knows how to say is "Okay, good," and do it again. But just, but just that idea of not being able to cheat before even a lot of the equipment and and technology was as good, where you you can basically get things that just sound great out of the box. You know, we had to, yeah. we had to kind of, you know, people always don't, don't remember that knowing the the stuff that sounded great and all that stuff was kind of like. A mystery it was like a band would show up with like some crazy rig and you don't we'd all be like t you know taking like pictures dro drooling yeah, over yeah. it like what's in there crazy rack stuff so taking pictures with a camera not a camera phone yeah. yeah and and you know trying to get secrets so you know just me seeing you, you know, like running into you at nam and seeing how just seeing the way your technique the way your right hand sounds just you know all of a sudden you're doing six sweet things and so I imagine that kind of dedication to not only because I think there's something about the hardcore scene that is very much kind of um, 
it's, I don't want to say smoke and mirrors, but it's more about the performance, right? Jump, jump in, stage sure. diving. I mean, it's the energy. That's what makes, yeah. that's what makes, a lot of the bands I love are not musically proficient bands. They're, they're just really great at writing a cool song that makes me feel something. And that's just as important as watching a guy like Jeff Loomis shred every night and feeling inferior, yeah. you know, that I get inspiration from both of those things. And that's what Fit for an Autopsy tries to do. We try to find that that middle ground between that feeling and the performance thing and um and and still put some fancy tasty stuff in there too and uh, uh dude i'm not i'm not i'm nothing special in the guitar world man you know how it is when you walk around nam and you you feel good about your your new record and then you got some 16 year old japanese kid that's like shredding circles around everybody in the whole place and like guys like steve Vai are like walking around the corner to see what this kid's doing you know there's just somewhere in the world there's some kid in germany that's been playing guitar for 15 hours a day that's you know 13 years old that will rip us into pieces but the difference is, is that kid may never get there because he might get pushed in the wrong direction in his life or not have the ability to live in a van or want to give up the comfort so there's like a there's a thing you know what I mean? For guys that do what we do. And uh, I've found that not everybody in this industry that you think is as insane is that great. It's just they're willing to sacrifice to do it. So that's like a, a saving grace for me because I, you know, like I said, I'm a, I started off playing fucking four chords and that's all I had, you know? Well, well, well what I see in the, in the kind of the comparison, the reason why I brought up the hardcore scene part of it is that what I'm saying is that your passion shifted. The passion went from the scene to the craft, right? Yeah. And just seeing how you, you know, watching on social media, seeing how you talk about guitars, where you talk about gear, yeah. like you love it. I you, do. You love, like, you know, it's the same same way like me hanging out with, with Schla Mike Schleibaum from Darkest Hour. Like he plays guitar all day and he, you just hear him the way he talks about guitars and the way, you know, that's that passion. Um, like I said, yeah, you might not be Steve Vai, but it's not about that. But if you're passionate enough about something, that's going to put Translate, push you yeah. into, into that, um, you know, I don't know, in a way I think you can't stop that because that's, gonna, that's what's gonna get you up and early and work on a record and then get you yeah. up. All right, we got to drive the van and pull an all nighter. Okay, we got to, I got to call up the booking agent. All right, I got to yeah. do all these things. Yeah. Um, so I imagine around around this time, you know, or actually you you, you tell me, what, how does starting Fit for an Autopsy kind of correlate with the whole focusing on guitar and tattooing and all this stuff? Well, I was tattooing full time. So we're talking like 2007, 2008 when Fit started writing. Completely different lineup except for me and Will. And uh, so, you know, uh, right up until about 2008, 2009, we were just, you know, writing stuff, playing shows and doing that whole thing. And then we stopped playing shows for a minute and um, we we gave up almost. You know, our singer wasn't doing his job and just didn't look good. So then I was in this band called A Day of Pigs, which was this like weird stoner metal band which is weird because I'm straight edge, but it was cool. And uh, so, you know, we, we did that thing and we played Infest in Jersey and Nate Johnson, who's our old singer, mm -hmm. he was in Through the Eyes of the Dead, you know, he's a pretty staple guy. Shout in out the, to Nate. Yeah, Nate, hope you're listening. I hope you're doing good. And um, 
you know, uh, he uh, he said he was interested in playing with us. So then it was like, oh, well, this guy's a notable dude. So then we started writing, and then we came out with the process of human extermination, and people took it seriously. And we were like, whoa, like, this could be a thing. So we did that, and then we recorded Hellbound. And when Hellbound dropped, we snapped some necks because people were not expecting that record. And at that point, it was like, all right, this could be... This could be like a, a real thing. At that time, were you guys pretty local? Were you already doing some tours here? Little and there? tours here and there. We had yeah. done a couple, but I mean, we didn't really start hitting it hard until Hellbound. Yeah. Once Hellbound hit and people were paying attention, we started getting tour offers, and I mean, now we're doing like six tours a year. Yeah. You know, sometimes we're out 150 days, and then with like one-off shows. Was Hellbound the last, the previous record? Or is there one in between? There was Hellbound. And then absolute hope, absolute hell, and then the great collapse. Okay, okay, you got it. So you got hum process of human extermination came out on uh, uh, black market, which is guy, guy from the Red Chords label, and we got picked up by uh, Good Fight E One, Carl from Ferret. You know, I mean that. I mean that had to be a huge milestone for you. Sure, getting like yeah. A, a, a real record, real deal. record label, and like you know money. So well, to do well, a record. well, the thing that's interesting. So at this point, you're probably early mid thirties. And you're quote unquote getting your break. Yes, let's I mean, talk, let's talk about that. No, that's fascinating. We're going to talk about a life changing experience for me. You're asking me about all these different things and my association with different things. And yes, I've done all these things. And you know, I was kind of a shitty dude. And I'll I'll openly admit that I've I've done some questionable things in my life that I I look back on as stepping stones. You know, to mm -hmm. learn about myself and the life that I've been through. But what, what allowed you to kind of to that's where okay. that's where i'm going all right so um when we signed our first record deal my wife was pregnant with my son and i was getting ready to go to band practice to quit my band because we got a record deal and my wife was pregnant and she was like pretty pregnant so i'm like i said to her i was like listen i'm gonna quit these guys could do something cool I, I can't leave you behind and go on the road with a newborn child. <clears throat> Just doesn't feel right. And I told her this the night before over dinner. So I go to work. I come home. I pack up all my stuff. And my plan was to go in and say, look, this is how it's going. I'm going to stick around until you guys find the right guy. And then once that happens, I'll bow out gracefully. So I'm getting ready to leave. And, you know, she's pregnant and emotional, which is normal. And uh, I'm getting up to walk out the door. And she literally breaks down in tears and she sits me down and she says you cannot quit this band i was like i can't leave you home and she's like look if you quit the band you're gonna resent me you're gonna resent the baby you're gonna resent our relationship and we're gonna fall apart before we have a chance to even really establish our family she said i know it's gonna be hard but i want you to do this she told me that she loved me enough to deal with the bullshit that comes along with being a musician's wife. And so I went and I sat down for like 20 minutes. I'm always late to band practice, but I was late for a good reason this time. So I sat down and thought about it and I went to practice and we signed the contract. But I realized at that point, if somebody was willing to take me that seriously, I had to start taking myself that seriously. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started changing as a person because I realized that somebody was willing to sacrifice typical everyday comforts of having a person with them all the time and having, a, you know, I, I'm definitely not a part-time dad, but she's a full-time mom, you know what I mean? And 
how can I not change myself for her? She gave me the ability to do this and there's nothing in the world that can ever make me feel like she is not the best thing that's happened to me in my life. So sometimes life puts you in a position where you have to assess all the things that you've been through and figure out what kind of human you want to be because of the situation that you've been put in. And, um, you know, self-awareness is something that I didn't have for a long time. Treated people pretty bad for a long time because of the things that I had been through in my life. But here I am at, I think I was 33, having somebody being willing to sacrifice a huge thing in order for me to be successful. And that's when I realized that all of the shit that I had done in my life was my own fault. And every stupid mistake I made and every dumb fight I ever got into and all the times I treated people poorly because of my situation, like that all became very apparent that that was my fault. And um, so I owe being here talking to you right now and being able to be in Ibanez ads and get guitars and do all the shit. I owe all that to my wife and my son because they gave me the ability to change. And uh, I talk about that pretty freely, man. And you've known me a long time and you're probably pretty surprised that I would talk about this kind of stuff because I've usually been a pretty guarded person, but uh, I owe her a lot. And anybody that's listening that has somebody in their life that's willing to sacrifice for them, like you have to self-assess at that point, you know? Hey man, that's a... That's an incredible story, man. I'm getting getting choked up over here, man. <laughs> <laughs> that shit's uh, yeah. wow. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know how much of that is, is out there, but that is, um, that's inspiring. And I think it's incredible on a few different aspects. In that, I think that could have happened to a lot of people, but it doesn't necessarily mean everyone would have that response. You know, so I think that that is a testament to who you are and whatever stars aligning. Because the thing is, you know, you don't, if that would happen to you five years before that, would you have had the same right. response? If you, that would have happened at another time in your life, but you were ready. Clearly, you know, the, the events were going on, but also th there had to be some soul searching leading up to that moment. Sure. I mean, I've been going through shit my whole life. You know, I mean... The reason I was as angry as I was and the reason I was as shitty as I was is because I just had a lot of things in my life, a lot of things that people don't know about, you know, like um, physical abuse, sexual abuse when I was a little kid. Like, and I, I talk about that stuff pretty freely now because I've had my whole life to go over it, you know, and like things happen to you when, yeah. you know, and, and that's another thing like I tell people a lot is like, when things happen to you, you have to figure out if it's if you're willing to let it keep happening to you. And um, I did for a long time. You know, there are so many people out there that have a worse life than I did, but I was so wrapped up in my own head because I was busy being selfish about my pain and my discomfort and all those things. And then to have somebody being willing to put themselves into a difficult spot for me, it was just like a light switch. Yeah, I mean that's part. I think that's part of being young, though. I think. I think so too. Young people, yeah. When you're going through a rough time, you experience it as if you're the only per only person who's been through Nobody it. Nobody else feels how I feel, and it's also yeah. worse than anyone else. Of course, so, it is. Yeah. And and that's and the thing is, I think our generation, you know, we're similar in age where 
you know, we're not the World War II generation. Some of us, we we mature a little bit later, mm-hmm. you know, um, being around this scene, being around music. In a sense, um, uh, you know, it keeps us young, but it can also kind of not allow us to move forward in, in some other ways that, um, you know, than than some other people. So I'm I'm a late bloomer myself, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, it's hard, I, man. It's hard to it's hard to balance it because you don't know, you know, you don't know. You're just too busy. You get hyper focused, and then you lose sight of the things around you. Yeah. You know? well, well, I'll say this, man. I'm I'm super proud of you. Well, thank man. you, man. I, and I, I mean that from from the bottom of my heart because, you know, there's people who are instrumental in your in your life, and you grow apart, and it's cool to kind of grow close again and, and, yeah. and reconnect and kind of and listen. We're guess what? We ain't the same motherfuckers we were. No, twenty years ago. And guess what? It is literally twenty years. Ago. Yeah, it is. It's bugged out. It's it's crazy. Uh, you and I have known each other for a very, 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 very. I mean, you go back, take it back to big noise. You yeah. know what I mean? Like we were kids. Yeah, I was in high school. You know? Yeah. And and I mean, I graduated high school in '94. I met you in '96, '97, going to all those shows and doing all that stuff. And like we, I watched you get successful, and I was proud of the fact that you were doing that. And and then you know. And here we are, fifteen years later, and now, like you said, like roles are reversed, full, full, full circle, full circle. And, and even for me, you know, now you know, I'm even I'm getting a second chance. And I love that uh, you're getting a second chance. Um, I do. I, you should be playing music, man. Because well, I I've never, watch, I've, I've never stopped. I've just been kind of been, like I said, I'm yeah. Doc Cole's a band whore. You know what I'm saying? I've been, I've been playing with everybody's band, yeah. um, and I've been touring with different stuff, and and that in a way has has been its own. Um, education on being a professional musician, being kind of a hired gun, and also, honestly, the thing that was good for me to not be on the road constantly for the last five or six years is I actually learned how to be a domestic person, a human. Yeah, yeah. Because we're not that life that happens when we're out on the road. That's not living. Yeah, it's a different thing. You become, you become programmed. You know. Well, like, it's very. It's in a way, it simplifies everything. It's like here's loading. Here's when lunch is. Yeah, here's, you know where you have to be and when you have to be here's there. Your here's your buyout. Here's loadout. It's it's very, it's and, very, you, very and you learn how to simplify the things you need because you can only bring yeah. a small thing. Like I tell when my wife gets bummed about me not being home. I tell her all the time. At least you can sleep in your bed. You know, I'm sleeping in a van most nights on this tour. Forty one, sleeping in a van. Yeah. And how's that back doing? I'm I'm actually good. Since, good? <laughs> since I lost the weight, it's a lot easier. Yeah. You know, but I mean, it's it's not easy by any means. My I how's mean, that I neck? Want, how's that neck? My neck is sore. <laughs> I got the bang over like you wouldn't believe. Six weeks on tour, I'm beat up. But like my singer Joe, like Joe uses his whole body to sing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's he's a very aggressive singer. He's very good at what he does. Singers and drummers got it the worst. The worst. And Hos- yeah, I was just gonna say Hosian's using his whole body too. But and I watch him go from laying down to sleeping, sitting up just to make this work. Like people don't realize, like, yo, when I say I do six tours a year, seven tours a year, that's that is a lot. It's nine months. That's a lot of touring. And and people don't get it. Like, yeah, when you're on a bus, it's it's a lot easier. But when you're doing it in a van or even a bandwagon. Do you, you know, guys get to do uh buses in Europe? Get to in split? Europe. Yeah, when we do the Sepatora thing, we're gonna be sharing a bus. And we've done a couple of bus tours, and that's like, that's like the, the it's a, fucking golden it's slipper. Break. It's a break. It's insane, you know. Yeah. But when we're in the states, we're we're a van and trailer band, because we need to save the money. Yeah. We need to make money on the road, and the only way you do that is to sacrifice your body. 
you know, and you know, and, exactly, and your mind, and your mind a little bit, sanity you know, a lot, you know, the boredom and and the danger of driving, yeah. you know, with all like we do three hour shifts, which is very, very, very functional. Yeah. But I mean, dude, That's some smart. of those, some of those drives are hard, man. Yeah. You know, you, we did. The reason we're so tired is because we did Canada was like a 12 hour drive that turned into a 17 hour drive because we can only go 35 miles an hour. Yeah. And like you're doing 10 hour, nine hour, seven hour drives, 10 hour drives. And then, you know, you get a day off in between, but you're driving literally the whole day. It's you're literally like stir crazy yeah. all day I'm, long. I'm actually, this is, you know, related to this, maybe a little off topic is that I'm actually pining for the day when dri driverless vehicles become the standard. And because I think it's going to save, I think Check it's going to save out. lives. Check this out. I'm not down. I'm, I'm Chill. down. Chill. I'm down. No. I'm down. Uh-uh. I think technology is getting too far out of hand. I don't even trust <laughs> me driving, let alone a van driving itself. Well, the thing is, we, just we know people have been injured. We know people have been killed. Yes. Um, and yeah. just and the truth is, most of the time, it's people falling asleep at the wheel at night. Truck drivers, people in vans. Icy roads. So exactly, but um, but anyway, I did. It just I'm concurring with you and just saying that. People don't realize that a lot of times your favorite bands every night they go from town to town they're risking their lives and it's a you know it's it's a it's a huge sacrifice. But Just, uh, here, this is my favorite way to put it so people can get it. The worst thing you can do when you go to a show is tell a guy in a band that oh I drove forty five minutes to get here to see. Well, guess what? <laughs> I have a four to twelve hour commute every single day to get to those commute. shows. To play, I love that. To play, yeah, that's my commute every day. People are like, oh, I got to drive forty minutes to work. I'm like. Pfft. 40 minutes i was like I, I i would kill to have clubs be 40 minutes apart from each other but i do it because i love it and i i want to i want to take a minute to say that and i say this a lot in my circle but i don't i don't say it in public that much so um i'm very 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 lucky at as a 41 year old man to be receiving the gift of playing music in front of audiences and people who care and I've done a lot of things in my life and I, I've been a lot of places and nothing compares to getting off stage and having a kid come up to me and saying, man, your music has saved me. Your music helped me. You know, your music makes me want to get out of bed and do things. You know, I identify with the things that you say and I think it's time for people to say the things that you're saying. And that kind of stuff is a thing that drives me every day to make that five hour drive. And along with making sure that I'm keeping it honest for the sacrifice that my family is making with me, it matters that people care. So every time we play a show, we will be at the merch booth. You can come up and talk to us. We will never charge you for a signature. And we want to meet you and we want to hear your story because we're lucky to be here because you guys want to come out and see us. That shit matters. And uh, at this age, I appreciate it more. And... Um, Dude, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of this. I'm proud of what you're doing. I'm proud that you're still playing music. I'm proud of what you told me before. I don't know how much you can discuss, but that shit is cool. And uh, it's just good. It's good, man. Life is cool. Yeah, man. I think that's a good place to wrap it up, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I love you, dude. Love you too, man. Thank you for having me.
Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. So that track is entitled Heads Will Hang, and it's from the new Fit for an Autopsy album, The Great Collapse. I hope you enjoyed the song. hope you enjoyed the conversation. It was really cool to listen back to. One thing that's kind of cool about this show is I end, always end up doing uh, the interview and then not releasing it for like a month or two sometimes, so I'm always... <clears throat> ahead of ahead of myself. So when I listen back to the conversation, it's almost kind of new for me, you know, and, and I like having that distance from it. So it's always, you know, I kind of, in a sense, probably go through a little bit what you guys go through when you listen to the show. But um, yeah, that was, that was really, really terrific. I'm, I'm really happy for, for Pat. He's, I know he's doing a bunch of tours, right? He's in like Japan and Australia and Europe doing some really big tours. So they're fit for an autopsy is really killing the game right now. So please support that band. I'm sure if you listen to the show, you probably dig that track. They're, they're a really, really, really good band. So yeah, so things are popping. Things are moving. I got a lot of shows coming up. Hopefully I can kind of keep up with, with it myself. If you would like to sponsor the show, you're a band, you want to get a song played, please reach out to me on social media, or you can shoot me an email at the X-Man podcast at gmail.com. Remember, that's E-X-Man. And also, head over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, rate and review the show. I appreciate that. You know, guys, I'm feeling good about stuff. I'm going to keep rocking. I got to do two interviews today. You know what I'm saying? That's how I'm going, son. Mm. Like this, That feels good sometimes. You on a mic, keep like, mm. You know, you just drop, you know, I'm not going to do no verses, but, you know, do that sometimes. Get you a mic and just, uh, you know, just let it out. All right. I'm sure I'm pissing people off. Mamba out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome. 
What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.